chapter 24 is where we're at. Um, I don't know how much we're going to get through because there's also another matter that I want to bring to your attention this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have heard about what's going on in Syria. Yeah? Um, in a, in a, a joint effort with, I think, France and Britain, UK, um, the United States has bombed uh, Syria, um, targeted um, chemical uh, plants there in, in response to uh, uh, the attacks that Assad has done. I don't want to get into all the politics of it. There's, that's not my point this morning. But I want to I mention that to you um, because of some prophecy in Scripture. And uh, as, as you guys know, I love prophecy. I love in-time prophecy. Um, and um, I want to let you know that there's a prophecy in two places of Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 17 and in Jeremiah chapter 49 where it specifically talks about Syria and the destruction of Damascus. And that's in conjunction with um, the Gog and Magog prophecies and Armageddon and the whole end times thing that you guys have probably heard a little bit about as well. But one of the key indicators or one of the, 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 the prophetic things that the Bible talks about coming to pass leading immediately up to those end times events where you and I are to be looking upward for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is the destruction of Damascus. And Damascus is an ancient city, and um, it's never been destroyed in the history of Damascus, and which is very rare. A lot, of, a lot of ancient cities, including Jerusalem, I think Jerusalem has been completely destroyed six different times and rebuilt. And, and many ancient cities have never been rebuilt after they've been destroyed, but Damascus is one of the few that has never been destroyed. Yet the Bible talks about it in those two places, about the destruction of Damascus, capital Syria, um, immediately leading up to the Lord's return and the final battles that the Scripture talks about. Um, I, I bring that to your attention this morning only to bring it to your attention. But, uh, and if you want to know more about that, I've printed off two articles by a guy named Craig C. White. He has Calvary Chapel Associations. Um, I, I, I read his, his blog, and I go to his website, as well as a lot of others who stay up to date with current events that are going on, specifically in regards to biblical prophecy. Uh, I will put a disclaimer out here. He's very intelligent. He has a lot of insight. Uh, I don't completely agree with all of his conclusions. Um, um, but nevertheless, the articles here that it would take me hours to go into trying to explain the ins and outs of what's going on in Syria and with Turkey and with Russia, other key players in this whole scheme of things, these two articles will do a wonderful job if you're interested in knowing more about it, specifically how it connects to biblical prophecy. Um, the first one is, is a two-page um, article that deals more with just the mechanics of what's going on over there from a biblical point of view. And the second one has to do with those two prophecies, one in, in, Daniel, or in um, Isaiah chapter 17 and then Jeremiah chapter 37 in conjunction with what's going on there and what the Bible says. So when you leave this morning, I only have 20 copies of each. Um, you, can go, you can look up Craig C. White and he has um, his own um, website if you want to look him up and you can go and get this article and others like that that talks about biblical prophecy. But I wanted to keep you up to date what was going on in Syria in relationship to what God's Word says because 
um, there are some cool things going on, guys, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an indicator to us that the Lord's return is very, very near. So keep uh, Syria in prayer. I know there's a lot of people in this world that are suffering, um, but with what's going on there, and they're just in the, in, the, in, the, in the media nowadays and lots of things going on, and it has been for a while, as you guys go, I think there's like 400,000 refugees that have fled from Syria into Turkey and in other places. And um, if you remember, Austin Shepard has gone to, to one of our, 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 our Tyne Laurie's son, Austin, has been to Turkey twice, and they've done missions work there in Turkey where they've specifically targeted these Syrian refugees and um, other, other people there. So um, just keep that whole area in prayer, and um, it'd be awesome. Look, look upward, because your redemption draws near. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we come into your word this morning, we give you thanks, God, for... Um, your Son, Jesus Christ, for your protection and your provision, for your love for us. And God, I pray that as we've spent time in song worshiping you, worshiping you, Lord, by um, recognizing and hearing what you're doing in, in uh, Uganda, uh, Lord, we want to continue to worship you this morning as we study your word and allow your Holy Spirit to minister to us. God, I pray that you would teach us through your word and by your spirit I pray, Lord, that I would be completely submitted to you, that it would be your words and not my own, God, that we're hearing this morning. And Lord, that um, you would, in, in, in a supernatural way, God, speak to each of us individually right where we're at. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, and God, that you would lead us into truth so we may grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, as we prepare to um, discuss these next chapters, pardon, and what I mean by that is really the rest of the book of Exodus, um, I want to point out that, I want to look back uh, specifically to Exodus chapter 5, because in Exodus chapter 5, <coughs> Moses is first coming before Pharaoh. That's, that's kind of where um, his interaction all started there in Exodus chapter 5. And Pharaoh goes, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and he delivers this demand, God's demand. It's, it's, it's not an invitation, it's clearly a demand to let his people go. And in that chapter, Pharaoh responds to that initial um, uh, message brought by Moses from God by punishing the Hebrew people. And he gave orders at that time to his slave drivers, to his officials, and told them to no longer supply the Hebrew slaves with straw for making bricks, and to make them gather their own straw, and still required them to make the same amount of bricks as when they had the straw provided to them. Now, when this harsh command was given to the Hebrew people through these officials, these, these Egyptian officials, it was made known to them that Moses was to blame. That because Moses had come and demanded their freedom, that, that he was to blame. Well, you can imagine that even though the Hebrew people had previously been for Moses and, and what, what he had said God was going to do through him and for them, um, that all changed. And the Hebrew people had previously been grateful for God sending Moses to deliver them. They began to curse Moses. And it tells us in um, chapter 5, they said this. They said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. And may he and, and 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 for you have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and put a sword in their hand to kill us. And these words of a rejection, 
Because Moses was just like, he was like any other man, just like you and I. I mean, he had some clearly godly traits, but he also had some weaknesses as well. And, 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 and as you can imagine, that rejection, along with Pharaoh's unwillingness to yield to God's demand, caused Moses to doubt what, what, what God had called him to do and the message that God had given him, that God had sent him um, uh, uh, to, to do, and also what God said he would do. He doubted those things. And yet when Moses called out to God in the midst of his doubts, with his fears, God graciously assured Moses by reaffirming the promises that he had previously spoke to. Remember, it wasn't just a little bit before that that Moses had been in the wilderness and he was there before the burning bush, right? And God introduced himself to him and then called him to do this thing and made these awesome promises to Moses saying, this is what I'm going to do. I've heard my people's cry. I'm sending you and I'm going I'm I'm to do these awesome things of setting them free. And as God reaffirmed these promises, he's basically telling Moses, listen, I told you this is what I was going to do. I'm going to do it. And Moses was told to go tell the Israelites these things, that he would bring them out from the burdens of the Egyptians, from, out, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and rescue them from their bondage. That's the first thing. He said that he would adopt them to himself as his people. That's the second thing. And then he said that he would then be their God. That's the third thing. And then the fourth thing that he said, and of course this is where we're going, is that he would bring them into the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And we know that God had made that promise to them, to give them the land of Canaan as an inheritance. And I mentioned these problems, these promises this morning because as we've studied through the first 24 chapters of the book of Exodus up until now, we've seen God, that God had been faithful to these promises. God had been faithful to deliver his people from Egypt and faithful to adopt them to himself as his own special treasure. And we've been looking at that even up in the weeks coming up to this as we looked at the, the, the law being given to him and God meeting with them at Mount Sinai and all, all of these things. But before he would bring them into the land that he had sworn to give to them, he would fulfill this promise of being their God. And he would do so by coming into their camp and dwelling with them, to live among them. God, the creator of the universe, coming to live in the camp with the Hebrew people, being their God. And you know what? I mentioned that this morning because that's what the rest of the book of Exodus is all about. I think there's like 16 more chapters. That's what it's all about. It's about God going, I'm going to be your God. Now, in order to do this, God was in need of two things. That's what we see. He was in need of a place. See, if he was going to come and live with them, he needed a place to live, a place to dwell. And he was, going to, he was, he was in need of a place for, literally it says, his glory to dwell and, his, and also a place for his servants to then minister to him in that place. Therefore, God commanded his people to build the tabernacle and to set apart the whole tribe of Levi to be those servants, these priests who would, who would minister to him and to the people. And the building of the tabernacle and the ordaining of the priesthood are what is recorded for us here in chapters, really the end of chapter 24 on through to chapter 40. 
And, and having God dwell with them, when you begin to think about this, we need to see it also in relationship to our own lives because God's Word is living. It, apl- it applies to our lives, and there's great application in here for us. And having God dwell with them, when you begin to think about this, with them in their camp is a great privilege. Especially since no other nation, since the beginning of time, no other people since the beginning of time had ever had God living in their midst. And you say, well, God made himself known to many people before this. He did. And, and, and you can look back and even go back to, to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But at best, all God ever did, and he did this with, with Noah and Enoch and Abraham, others like that, all we ever see God doing in relationship to, to fellowship and being with his people is that moments at times he would come and walk with them. Now, that was literally and also figuratively speaking, and and that's no small thing, but in comparison to coming and living with them, it's like God saying, knocking up at your door and going, hey, uh, you got a spare room? I want to come live with you. And and we got greater than that, and we're going to talk about this, but that was what God was doing at this time. It was mind-blowing, and it had great privilege. But guys, this privilege, it brought with it a great responsibility, Right? Always true, with great privilege comes great responsibility, especially in relationship to our, our, our relationship with God. Because for the Hebrew people, it meant that the camp of Israel then had to be a holy place. Why? Because God is a holy God. And He needs to dwell in a holy place. So it is important to understand that these 16 remaining chapters, they record, more, they record so much more for us than just historical events. Are these historical events? Yes. Will we look at them through a historical lens? Absolutely. But there's more to it. There's more than just historical events surrounding the construction of the tabernacle and the inauguration of the priesthood, which is, again, detailed in, in, for us in these last 14 verse chapters. And, and what Moses wrote in the rest of this book, here's, here's, here's what I really want us to focus on. It reveals wonderfully deep spiritual truths, profound spiritual truths about a holy God and how we, how we should approach Him in worship and serve Him acceptably with reverence and godly fear, like it tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Guys, and it's right for us to take these spiritual truths that we're going to be looking at to heart It's right for us to give them great attention considering this. Considering you and I have been given given even a greater privilege than the Hebrew people, have we not? We've been given a greater privilege and also a greater responsibility than the Hebrew people as God has now said, you know what, I'm no longer going to live with my people in a house constructed by man's hands. Rather, what God has said is that He's chosen to live in us. That's His dwelling place. Not with a building made by hands. And this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20 through 20 reminds us of by saying this. It says, and, and this is just this whole idea of you know, God wants to dwell with His people in, and there's a responsibility. And He's a holy God. And so Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, or do you not know that your body... It's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Do you not know this? 
For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And guys, these spiritual truths found in the remaining chapters of Exodus, you know what they're going to do. And this is why we want to give heart and give great attention to them. Because they're going to guide us. These spiritual truths that were first given to the nation of Israel, to the Hebrew people as God was preparing to be their God, to live among them, these spiritual truths will guide us and equip us so that we can glorify God both in our body and in our spirit. If you look with me, we'll pick up in verse 9 of chapter 24. It's kind of where we left off in, in the weeks past. But it says in verse 9, it says, Then Moses... Okay, that's, that's everything we've gone through is leading up to this point. It says that then Moses went up. And he went up because if you look back up to verse 1 of chapter 24, God's again speaking to Moses and he says, Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord. And he gives a list of some other people that he wants to come with him. And so we go through some of these things and he says, Then Moses went up also with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw God, verse 10 of Israel, they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. I can't wait to get to heaven. I need to stop there. Because <laughs> I, and I got to underline this, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget. I don't want this is important. It has nothing really to do with the study other than of this picture into heaven. Um, uh, you guys were here last week, right? And um, you turned, guys were here? Um, and Tom shared his testimony. And um, we have a connection to Tom, not only through U-Turn, but his mom, I don't know if he shared about that, but his mom, Natalie, has come to our church here for a long time. And Natalie's, I've prayed with Natalie for years for Tom to come to know the Lord, for him to turn away from the addictions that, that he was under for so many years. And Tom graduates from the program his, uh, and he's been in sober and following after the Lord for, for almost nine months now. But he graduates on the 21st or the 24th. Um, but Natalie um, is sick, very sick. And she's actually in, um, she's, she knows I'm not sharing anything that, that she wouldn't want me to share with you guys, but she's actually in a hospice care and um, she's taken a, a really bad decline all of her kids there, including Tom, were there where she's at in the nursing facility yesterday. Um, but she's having some heart failure. And so um, I want to take a moment just to pray for her. But it's so encouraging to be around her, guys, because she's all, I'm going to heaven. You know, she's going to, be, she's going to see Jesus, and she knows it, and she cannot wait. The woman's faith is awesome. It's inspiring. It's contagious. And I love being there with her even as she's coming to the end of her life. And, and she's, every time I see her, she's like giving me pointers on for um, the sermon for her funeral. <laughs> the last one was, keep it short. <laughs> but she really wants um, the gospel message to be shared because that's her hope. And so if you guys, real quick, will you guys pray with me for her? Let's do that. Lord, we want to lift up Natalie to you. Lord, it's good to take this, this moment right now to, to interrupt um, the study just to go. We want to lift her up to you and pray, God, that you would give her comfort physically. We know that she's suffering physically right now, Lord, but inside she has a great peace knowing that you're going to come to get her in your perfect timing. And Lord, we want to lift up her kids to you, Patty, Jimmy, and Tom, Lord, who are, who are, are, are glad that their mom is going to be seeing you soon, but are also sad that she's going to be gone. 
So we pray, God, for their comfort. We pray for um, peace, Lord. And we pray that for, for Tom, who's still fragile and new in his, in his faith with you. We pray, God, that this uh, loss would not rock his faith, his, that you would shore him up. Lord, that he would stand and you would fight on his behalf, even like Bev said. Lord, we love you, and again, um, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, heaven. So, so and, and we'll talk about why that reminded me of heaven here in a minute, but the very heavens and its clarity is what it says. It says, but on the nobles, in verse 11, um, the children of, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he, God, did not lay his hands on them. And so they saw God, and they ate and drank. And then the Lord said to Moses, verse 12, come up. To me on the mountain. Again, come up to me further, God said, and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the, and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. Then Moses, so Moses in verse 13 arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up, went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur, Hur are, are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let them let him go to them. Uh, so Moses is just relinquishing the responsibility. Um, he's getting focused. He's he has these people who he's leading, and he's he's just he's turning his attention fully to God. That's what's going on here. Is God's calling him up, and I point that out because it's something we're going to talk about. But in verse fifteen, it says, "Then Moses went up into the mountains, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days." And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And in the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Remember, they're down below. And so Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. <sighs> okay. Now... One of the very first spiritual truths, because this is how we're going to kind of go through this, there'll be some historical things we bring out, and I want to talk about when we get to the tabernacle and the construction of it and the things that are in it. I want to talk about the spiritual representation, but historically there's some things there as well. But with these spiritual truths, I want to point out that the very first spiritual truth being revealed to us in, this verse, in these verses is the fact that God calls us. And, and I would even go as far as to use the word summons. It has a little bit more... Um, authority behind it. God summons us. God calls us to come and worship Him. But it's up to us on how far we will go. It's up to us. It's up to you. It's up to me. How far are we willing to go in regards to our life and acts of worship to the Lord? How far? And, and, and some of you Probably all of us, to some degree, have thought, well, I've gone pretty far. I, I've maybe even thinking that, that I'm all the way where I need to be in regards to acts of worship. I've submitted my life to God. But I guarantee you, if you allow the Holy Spirit and God's Word to search our hearts this morning, God wants to show us that there's another place. And even this morning, He's saying to us again, come up. He's summoning it more. And just like we see that here with Abraham, first he comes, calls him, and then he calls him to come up, and he leaves some other people behind, and God calls him again, and then he leaves Joshua behind, and then he goes up even further into the cloud, into the presence of God. And God's doing the same for us. He's summoning us. 
And this is a spiritual truth that needs to be in the front of our minds. In the light of this, we need to understand, guys, that worshiping God is the highest privilege and the greatest responsibility that we have as Christians. Did you realize that? It's, 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 it's not telling people about Jesus. Is that important? Absolutely. Evangelism. It's a great responsibility. Tithing. Any one of these things that we're called to do. Prayer. Reading the Bible. These things that are part of our Christian walk. If, if it's, this is not first, then all of the other things don't matter because ultimately all the other things need to flow out of a, a life of worship, a life of submission, a life of honor given over to God. And so we need to understand that worshiping God is the highest privilege and the greatest responsibility that we have as Christians is a foundation for everything else. And this is because God is the highest being in the universe. The one to whom we must at one day give an account. Believer and unbeliever. Give an account. And everything that we are in regards to this, this idea of worship being the greatest responsibility that we have as Christians and the highest privilege that we have as Christians, that, and, and that everything that we are and everything that we should do or we do should flow out of our relationship with the Lord. Furthermore, God created us, the Bible tells us, in His image so that we might love Him, right? Why have we been created? Why have we been given life? For worship, to love Him. To have fellowship with Him. A basis and a, and, and, and a huge avenue for worship. Not because we have to, as you know this, but because we want to. And remember, in John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, Jesus Himself said that, that, that God is seeking people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. But even though God is seeking people to worship Him, you know what, there are many believers... Us also who choose to worship God from a distance. And there's lots of reasons in that. We're only going to go so far. And, and, and in doing so, what we, we never even climb the mountain in order to see the glory of the Lord. Remember, when God's presence was first manifested there on Mount Sinai, <clears throat> and when God spoke to Moses in the presence of His people Israel, they became fearful. They became fearful, and it says they stood afar off. And they said to Moses this, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And I'm telling you what, there's a lot of Christians, maybe you too, that have a hard time picking up your Bible and reading God's Word or listen, and, and getting fed yourself. And you're getting it from other Bible teachers. You're only getting it on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But if that's it, you're entering into only a certain degree of relationship with God. You're no different than the children of Israel that say, I'm afraid or there's reasons why, so we're going to stand far off. You, go, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And even though Moses encouraged the people to not be afraid, and he's saying, God's just testing you. He just wants you to come to him with reverence, with the right heart. It says they remain standing off. That's sad. So as the people of Israel Israel remained at the base of the mountain and took care, it says, to not get very close as they waited for the word of God to come and to be spoken to them through Moses and to deliver to him. It says here in these passages that Moses then went up. God said, okay, come. We'll do that. 
And he ascended the mountain with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 other elders of Israel to go and meet with God. But there was even a point we see here where the 70 elders stopped climbing, right? And then in verses 13 through 14, we'll turn, there, was, there was a point when only Moses and Joshua were the ones who moved up the mountain. They moved up the mountain higher. And then there came a point when Joshua stopped climbing. It doesn't say specifically, but we're left to conclude that because when we read in verses 15 through 17, we see that it was only Moses who went up to the mountain and into the cloud where he saw the glory of the Lord. And this entire account, guys, it gives us an illustration of a spiritual truth of how we must grow in our own worship experience of the Lord. And of how we are ultimately the ones who will decide how close we will go to God. How close will you go to God? And as those who have been also called, clearly we've been called to enter into God's presence through through Jesus Christ, we do so according to Hebrews chapter 10. It says in verses 19 through 25, through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, by the work that Christ has done through grace, right? It says that he's consecrated for us through the veil of his flesh. We come through that and having Jesus as our high priest over the house of God, it says we are to do this, come to God, enter into his presence, climb the mountain of spiritual worship with full assurance of faith. And what does that mean to you, or at least what it means to me, is that, is that when I see my own sin, my faults, my failures, or any of these other things that can stand in the way of, of, of causing me to believe that I've gone far enough, all those things should be torn down by my faith and going, God's done this work, there's nothing that should be standing between me and Him. Full assurance of faith. Setting aside my doubts, setting aside my fears, setting aside my sinfulness, my rebellion. Not, not making light of it, but not allowing those things to stand in the way of what God wants to do with me and in me and be there in His presence. And that's why it says, and in, 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 in sometimes it's a doubt that I'm going to draw near to God and He ain't going to draw near to me. That He's going to leave. That He's going to forsake me. And, and, and a lot of these things that come up from hurts that we may have had in the past and, and, and the Satan tempting us and speaking lies to us. But James chapter 4, verse 8 is very clear when it tells us that if we draw near to God, He's going to draw near to us. Right? And when we draw near to God, we should expect two things. And I'm going to have to wrap it up with this, unfortunately. Unless you guys want me to continue for another hour. We'll come back to it. I don't want to rush it, but we're going to have to end here. So, Justin, I'll try to wrap it up and you can come up. Um, we got a lot of other good things done today, too, so it's all right. But I want to just leave you with this, and I'm going to come right back to this. I'm not going to go into it to detail, but I'm going to leave you with this as thought, and this is where we're going to pick back up. So think about it. So well, God calls us up, right? Spiritual worship. And, 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 and he says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. And when we do this, when you do this, guys, you should expect two things. And this is also exampled for us in these verses. As we're told in verses 9 through 11, that first of all, these men, these 70 elders who answered God's call to come near, I'm sure they were just as fearful as the other who stood far off, but they were probably like, well, we're the elders. If we're not going to go, who is? You know? It's like, I'm not going, you go. That's why you're the leader. And so they went up, and, 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 and what happened? Good things happened. They saw God. Now, there's a distinction made here where it says he didn't put their hand on them. 
like he did Moses, meaning he saw, they saw a, a, a manifestation, a certain part of God, a certain revelation, a, a, a certain aspect of God that, that the ones down below didn't get to see. They had seen God in a certain way. They saw the lightnings, the thundering, the smoke, those things. They saw God in a certain way. Their level of worship and entering into God's presence was this much. But because the elders were willing to go, they saw something more. Not only did they say some, saw something more, they got to have a barbecue with, with God. They ate and drank, it says, with him in his presence. And that's what, what happens when, we, when we're called to, God says, summons us and calls and we go and we answer that and we enter into this level of worship. What we do is, is we, we, we draw near to God and we should expect that he'll come to us and that he'll have fellowship with us in a deep and new way. Even, and that's so exciting because if you've been a Christian for 25, 35, 45 years, or even five years, and you, and you, you love being in God's presence, you think it can't get any better than this, I'm here to tell you it gets better. It gets better and better. My wife and I have been married for 25 years this July. Some of you longer. But you know what? It gets better. And that's true when you keep coming into the presence of God. You're never going to be dissatisfied. That's one of the things that you should expect. Furthermore, because God's laid his hand on us and has made a way for us through the blood of Jesus to come all the way up to the top of the mountain, here's the last thing I want to leave you with, is that we, like Moses, should expect to experience exactly what Moses experienced. And when Moses continued on, we're told that two things happened. The first is that Moses, according to verse 16, waited on the Lord for six days after entering into the cloud, which was simply a manifestation of God's glory. And then on the seventh day, they spoke to the Lord. And, and really quickly, and the other thing that happened while he was there during those 40 days is God gave him a plan. Do you see? There's a waiting on the Lord that takes place as an aspect of worship that we'll talk about in detail next week because I don't have time to do it now. I was talking to Bill Raymer about it. So Bill, it's all tied up. I can't get out. God's going to put it on for next week. Talk to Bill. It was exciting. <laughs> exciting for me. But here's the other thing is, is that is, is, is there's going to be an aspect of worship that is required you to wait on the Lord. That's what Moses, happened to Moses. That's what we should expect as well. But the other thing is, is that God's going to give you a plan. He's going to communicate to you. And in waiting in the presence of the Lord is because... In those times, God reveals his will for our lives. He tells us about the work that he wants to do in and through our lives. And then he provides us also with his plan for our lives. So I would encourage you, climb the mountain. Don't settle for what happened yesterday. God's a God of today. And if you submit your life to him as an act of worship, He's going to meet you. You're going to wait on him. And in that waiting, there's a rest. But also there's a revelation. And God's going to reveal not only himself to you, but he's going to reveal his, his plan for your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've called us, created us, 
and made a way for us to come and worship you. And Lord, there are so many things that are in our hearts and our minds in this world that stand as a barrier between what you call us to and, 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 and where we are at right now. And I pray, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word this morning, that you would tear down those barriers that are keeping us back from the good things that you have for us. God, that we wouldn't stand far off any longer. And that we would respond as we worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, as completely submitted to your plan and your provision and your protection for our lives. Lord, we love you. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand. We worship the Lord.